Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. You know Patreon's heard this episode first. You can become a Patreon, too, by heading over to patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod. The Murder Diaries patrons get one bonus episode every month, access to regular episodes one day early, and a shout-out in an episode. For this episode, we want to give a big shout-out to Marina. Thank you so much for becoming our newest patron. Again, head over to patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod and become our newest patron. We can't wait to see you there. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. Even though the case I have for you today comes out of Gateshead, England, it could have easily happened anywhere in the world. That's because it's about a young woman whose life was brutally cut short at the hands of her ex-boyfriend turned stalker. Data from the Crime Survey of England and Wales states that up to 700,000 women are stalked each year, most commonly by someone they know. Or as another resource puts it, one in five women, that's 20% of women, will experience stalking in their adult life. With numbers like that, I wish I could say there are policies in place to help keep stalking victims safe, except there aren't any. All seems to fall short of protecting the people who find themselves in this situation, something Alice Ruggles' murder brought to the public's attention back in 2016. Alice did everything she was, quote, supposed to do to stay safe from her unhinged ex-boyfriend. She cut off all contact with him, moved apartments, and reported the harassment to the authorities on multiple occasions. And yet, here we are talking about her life and untimely death on the murder diaries. So as I share this case with you, our listeners, please, 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 if you're going to remember anything, remember that Alice was more than just another statistic. She was a champion fencer who adored her three siblings. Her loved ones refer to her as a born entertainer with a quick wit and a fondness of mischievous pranks. But perhaps most importantly, she loved life and she will never be forgotten by those she encountered. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. It's around 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, October 12, 2016, and a woman named Maxine McGill has just arrived at her Gateshead apartment from work. She stayed at the office later than usual and is ready to be in the comforts of her own home. But as she approaches the front door to her apartment, Maxine is overcome with a strange, unsettling feeling. The hair on the back of her neck stands up like 
her body instinctively knows something isn't right. Except she can't figure out why she feels this way. Nothing appears to be out of place as she looks around. So she pushes forward. Her hands tremble as she turns the key in the lock, only to realize the door won't budge, which has never happened before. The ominous feeling intensifies and Maxine's entire body shakes uncontrollably as she knocks on the door, hoping her roommate slash coworker, 23-year-old Alice Ruggles, will answer. But that doesn't happen either. Instead, the apartment remains eerily quiet. There's no sound of running water, voices from the TV, footsteps, nothing. The only sounds come from Maxine at the door. This doesn't sit right with Maxine because she knows Alice, who happens to also work with her at Sky Media in Newcastle, got a ride home from their boss an hour prior. And Alice never mentioned any plans to go out that evening, so she expects her to be home. On top of that, Maxine's aware of Alice's stalker ex-boyfriend and his recent visits to their apartment. With all of this in mind, Maxine is more determined than ever to get inside. She races to the back of the building and notices the living room window in her first floor apartment is open. The building must have a basement because the photos I've seen show the window as far off the ground as it can be without being considered the second story. So it's definitely hard to get yourself up to the window and through it. But that window's height doesn't stop Maxine because somehow she hoists herself up, climbs through the window, and lands on the black couch that's pressed up against the wall in the living room. Now that she's finally inside, Maxine's met with what she describes as a deathly silence. She tiptoes around her living room, unsure of what she'll find. And because the apartment is so small, it's not long before she discovers a gruesome scene. Alice lying face up in a pool of blood on the bathroom floor. Distraught, frightened, and desperate for help, Maxine dials 999, the UK's emergency response line, at 6.34 p.m. The clip you're about to hear is part of Maxine's conversation with the dispatcher who's the first to speak. Here it is. Police emergency, go ahead, call this. Please, I've just, I've just come back to my flat and the door was locked, so I crawled through the window and my flatmate's covered in blood in the bathroom. Is she breathing? I don't know, I can't, I can't look, I'm sorry. Okay, I can't try, try and stay calm. <laughs> What's your calls? She called Alice. Alice! 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 Oh my God, she's dead, she's dead. Try and calm down, try and breathe. Oh. Have a shot, just try and breathe. Oh, please help me. I know, how old is oh. Alice? She's only 23, I mean, you're just coming, I'm an absolute psychopath. This particular conversation is heart-wrenching because you can hear the desperation and fear in Maxine's voice as she calls Alice's name the first couple of times. And then there's that heavy, heavy pause before she says Alice's name once more. Maybe it's me, but I swear there's an audible shift in Maxine's emotions at that exact moment. From terror to distraught at the realization her friend has been murdered. If you weren't going to say that, I was. It's unbelievable the emotion and shock and 
terror that you can hear in Maxine's voice. We have to talk about that last sentence specifically. We knew this was coming. Her ex is an absolute psychopath. I'm immediately wondering more about this ex. Trust me, I'm going to cover everything about Alice's ex-boyfriend. But first, I need to tell you about what happened after Maxine made that call. So hold those questions. I promise I'll get back to them in a minute. Officers from the Northumbria Police Department arrive at Alice and Maxine's apartment building on Rawling Road just minutes after that 999 call was made. And as they enter the bathroom, it's obvious to both officers and medical personnel that their chances of reviving Alice are slim. The bathroom floor and Alice's lifeless body are, as one investigator put it, completely awash in blood. The result of over 24 stab wounds to her arms and torso and the cut on her neck from ear to ear. EMS still performs CPR, but it's too late. There's nothing they can do to bring her back. Alice is gone and officially pronounced dead on scene at 7.30 p.m. It's clear Alice was murdered. The horrific injuries she sustained couldn't have been explained any other way. The Sun would later report Alice's cause of death was due to the offender holding her head back as he viciously slashed through her neck to the spinal cord at least six times. The apartment has now become the site of an active investigation. The homicide squad arrives covered head to toe in plastic suits so as not to contaminate the scene as they walk through the apartment with flashlights and HD body cams. The footage from those cameras is later used for the docuseries An Hour to Catch a Killer with Trevor McDonald, which takes viewers inside the crime scene the minute the call goes out and through each level of the investigation as detectives piece together clues to find Alice's killer. As a result, there's actual footage of the investigators taking notes of everything from both the front and back doors being locked to documenting the large shoe prints on the couch and the blood on the kitchen floor. In this footage, they also acknowledge that there are certain items missing from the scene, like Alice's cell phone. The crime scene is then secured and no one can leave or enter until the lead investigator arrives. Meanwhile, Detective Chief Inspector Lisa Theaker, the lead investigator on the case, is filmed racing to the station in her vehicle. She's the only one in the car, but she talks aloud. Whether it's to get it on camera, collect her thoughts, or both, I'm not sure. But she discusses how vital it is to collect evidence in what she calls the golden hour after a crime has occurred, which is why her team is dutifully combing through Alice's apartment inch by inch, while Detective Theaker and the rest of her team will be focusing on identifying all witnesses and corroborating their stories. DCI Theaker wants to speak to three people at this point in the investigation, and we're only about an hour or two in. The two witnesses are Alice's boss, Paul Lynch, who's presumed to be the last person who saw her alive after he gave her a ride to her apartment that evening and Maxine, Alice's roommate, who we know to be the person who found her. And as you may have guessed, the third individual DCI Theaker wants to speak to is a person of interest. Alice's ex-boyfriend, 26-year-old Tremont Dillon, who goes by the name Harry. So this is the ex that Maxine mentioned in the 999 phone call, right? 
Right. I did tell you I wouldn't make you wait very long. So here's everything I know. So obviously, now that it's a murder investigation, DCI Theaker has heard all about what Maxine told the dispatcher in the 999 call. An accusation like that isn't something DCI Theaker or her team takes lightly. It's a very serious accusation. So of course, she wants to know everything about Harry and his current whereabouts as soon as possible. And because the docuseries cameras are rolling through every part of this investigation, the moment DCI Theaker orders her team to look into Harry is caught on camera. So you know I'm going to have to show it to you or at least let you listen to it. Here's the audio of that moment from an Hour to Catch a Killer docuseries. DCI Theaker is the first to speak in the clip. I was told there was um, some history between her and her ex. What's the score with that? He's a soldier based up in Scotland, in the Edinburgh area. Right. So we're doing some research on him now. How old is he? I believe in his 20s. Okay. What I would like to know is, in relation to the ex and the army, is he is he there or is he here? Well, is he on his toes? Is he not there? Yeah. Reg, details as well are run through um, ANPR initially if he has been down. That's an action that's now. As investigators uncover the history between Alice and Harry, they learn a lot about what happened in the 12 months that they've known each other. So let's start at the beginning. Back in October 2015, Alice vacationed in Sri Lanka with a friend who posted photos of their travels on Facebook. According to Media Magazine, Harry saw those pictures and commented on them naming Alice the most naturally beautiful woman he'd ever seen. Flattered by the statement, Alice messaged Harry and introduced herself. The two hit it off, and it wasn't long until they formed a strong friendship due to interacting with one another all day, every day. We're talking phone calls, video calls, social media, etc. If there was a way to communicate, they were using it. Their friendship eventually blossomed into an online relationship, something they hoped to take offline and into the real world in the very near future. But for now, they settled for online because it's all it could be at that moment. We know they just met, but what is stopping them from seeing each other in person? Well, it turns out Harry was a Lance Corporal in the British Army. And he was stationed thousands of miles away in Afghanistan on a non-combat assignment when they first encountered each other online. So they had to wait a few months for Harry's tour of duty to end before they could meet in person. But when the time finally came and he eventually returned to the UK in January 2016, the couple didn't waste any time in scheduling their first in-person meeting. And all of those months Harry and Alice spent getting to know each other online made the encounter that much sweeter. They were so caught up in the honeymoon phase of their relationship that they didn't want to leave each other's side, so they didn't. The new couple spent weeks at a time with one another, switching off between their respective cities, Alice in Newcastle, where she lived and worked, and Harry in Edinburgh, Scotland, where he was stationed out of. Harry showered Alice with love and attention, presenting himself as her very own Prince Charming. And in return, Alice was smitten. She was falling head over heels at record speeds. Unfortunately, hindsight tells us that Harry was pretending to be someone he wasn't. 
a fact that Alice wouldn't learn until much later in their relationship. Because at this point, Harry and Alice appear to be the picture-perfect couple. And that's not to say they didn't have troubles. For example, the new couple faced their first speed bump when Harry had to pack up once more for his final tour of duty in Afghanistan. They continued to communicate every day until Harry's return two months later in April 2016. But something had changed seemingly overnight. Harry arrived back in the UK with a completely different attitude toward Alice. Long gone were the days of thoughtful gestures and kind words. In their place were criticisms of Alice's appearance, the clothes she wore, and the company she kept. He was downright cruel and condescending whenever he spoke to Alice. And that was only the beginning of his reign of terror. Harry successfully isolated Alice, cutting her off from longtime friends and her close-knit family. He even took control of her social media presence when he hacked into her Facebook account and changed the password. As a result of Harry's grip over her life, Alice became withdrawn and distracted, losing weight, performing poorly at work, and getting into daily disagreements with her roommates in Newcastle. All aspects of Alice's life were affected by Harry's control, and things continued to spiral downward for months. Now let's fast forward to the end of summer 2016, when Alice received an unusual message from a woman who claimed she was also in a relationship with Harry after meeting him on a dating site. The news shook Alice to her core, and the hits kept coming as she began to unravel all of Harry's twisted lies. It turns out the woman was indeed telling the truth. Harry was cheating on Alice with her and multiple others, while also engaging in casual sex with countless individuals. He had been doing so throughout their entire relationship. When Alice confronted Harry about what she'd learned, she ended things because she could no longer trust him. But as her family writes on the Alice Ruggle Trust website, Harry wasn't prepared to accept no for an answer. Even though Alice no longer wanted to be in a relationship with Harry or have anything to do with him for that matter, he wouldn't leave her alone. He bombarded her with phone calls, voicemails, texts, and emails. His messages ranged from desperate, tearful pleas and professions of his undying love to threats of sextortion and suicide, along with menacing statements that made Alice fear for her safety. When Alice began ignoring his messages, Harry's obsession with Alice only grew, and he tried to get through to her through her friends and family. He then hacked Alice's phone and social media accounts so that he could keep tabs on what she was doing and who she was talking to. And according to the Ruggles family, that's how Harry found out Alice had started dating someone new, an army officer named Mike, in September 2016. This budding relationship triggered Harry, who, quote, set out to destroy it, according to Alice's family. Harry contacted Mike, telling him that Alice was a cheater because she was already in a relationship with him. But things didn't go as planned for Harry because Alice explained the situation to Mike and the two continued dating. Then Harry's behavior escalated further 
when he began to taunt Alice by creeping around her new apartment in Gateshead. One such event happened on September 30th, 2016, less than two weeks before her murder. Alice was home alone when Harry repeatedly rang her doorbell, only to hide in the shadows whenever she looked through the peephole. She never answered the door, but the event terrified her because she knew Harry was responsible for the harassment and didn't know what he'd do next. He was unpredictable. And just when Alice thought Harry had stopped for the evening, she was startled by a knock on her bedroom window as she lay in bed. The bedroom's window is the same height as the living room window I described earlier in the episode. So it's not easy to get to unless you're really trying to reach it. Anyway, Alice let some time pass before she lifted the curtains to look out into the back garden. And that's when she discovered flowers and chocolates on the windowsill as Harry slowly backed away. He eventually left the Gateshead apartment. And while driving back to Edinburgh, he left Alice a chilling voicemail where he repeated over and over that he didn't want to kill her. That was the last straw for Alice. She no longer could handle the situation on her own. She needed help. So she contacted the police, who were initially very sympathetic and reassured her that Harry could be stopped. Here's a clip of that conversation Alice had with the authorities. Evening, Hi there. Um, I just need a bit of advice, really, um, more than anything. Um, so I split up with my boyfriend about three months ago. Um, since then, I, I know that he's hacked into my Facebook and also my phone. And then tonight, I had a knock at my door and there was no one there. And then it happened again um, two or three times. And he's like left um, some flowers and chocolates on the like outside window. So I'm like, I'm concerned. My friends have been telling me to call the police. I've been putting it off, but it, I just feel a bit like shaken up tonight. But what's she called? In the rest of the conversation, the officer goes on to explain that the incident will be filed as harassment. And he gives Alice the option of a restraining order or a police information notice, otherwise known as a PIN, as it's called in the UK. The officer tells Alice that with the PIN in place, Harry will be arrested if or when he makes contact with her in the future. And for the first time in a long while, Alice is relieved. All she wanted was for Harry to leave her alone and with the pin, she felt like that would finally happen. But in reality, all she'd been granted was a false sense of security because nothing short of an arrest would keep Harry away from her. And it only took a few days for him to ignore the pin altogether and continued his reign of harassment, now angrier than ever because the police had notified him about the pin. So Alice contacted authorities once again on October 7th, 2016, unsure of what else she could possibly do to stop Harry. She explains the situation to the officer on the other end of the phone. And here's the recording of that conversation. Somebody's been issued with a pen so that they can't contact you. Um, 
Nothing was done to help Alice after this second phone call to the authorities. And according to her mother in the interview with Unfollow Me documentary, Alice began slipping into a depression because she felt like the stalking was just going to go on forever. In that same documentary, Alice's brother chokes up as he recalls her morbidly joking just days before her murder, saying, what if Harry broke into my house and killed me? Now that we know all the details of Alice and Harry's relationship and the subsequent harassment she endured at his hands, let's go back to Wednesday, October 12th. DCI Theaker and her team scour the surrounding city's extensive CCTV networks for footage of Alice prior to her murder. Doing so allows them to narrow down Alice's time of death, corroborate the witnesses' stories, and look for any possible leads, whether they're Harry-related or not. Sure enough, the surveillance footage quickly confirms Paul Lynch's testimony of his last moments with Alice. As a reminder, Paul Lynch, Maxine, and Alice all work together at Sky Media in Newcastle. It's about 15 to 20 minutes from Alice's Gateshead apartment. When questioned, Paul Lynch told authorities he dropped Alice off at her home, and that was the last time he saw her. The cameras in the Sky Media building show Paul and Alice leaving work together at 5.15. Then the twosome are captured on surveillance cameras throughout the trip from the office to Alice's apartment. Dashcam footage from a parked car a few doors down from Alice's flat shows Paul arrive, make a U-turn, and park in front of Alice's front door. The two talk for a minute, then Alice exits the vehicle before Paul drives off at 5.31 p.m. and Alice enters her home. As investigators keep watching the surveillance footage captured outside of Alice's apartment, they notice another white vehicle arrive 14 minutes later. This time, it's Harry's white BMW sedan, and he just sits in the car from 5.45 p.m. to 6 p.m. Meanwhile, Alice's phone records show she was texting a friend, sending a mirror selfie of her wearing a floor-length dress and asking if it's too much. Then at 6 p.m., Alice receives a text from Mike on WhatsApp saying, what were you thinking of doing on Friday? Anything alcohol related? She responds a minute later at 6.01 p.m. saying, well, is anything in life really not alcohol related? And that was the last time anyone heard from Alice Ruggles. Investigators are able to determine that Harry was inside Alice's apartment for no more than 24 minutes. Because his car is caught on CCTV leaving the area at 6.25, and nine minutes after that at 6.34 p.m., the 999 call is placed by Alice's roommate, Maxine. The timeline investigators stitch together through the CCTV footage, and the fact that the footprint on the couch matches Maxine's shoes corroborates her telling of events as well. With all of this new information, DCI Theaker authorizes Harry's arrest on suspicion of murder and acquires a warrant for the seizure of his car and cell phone records. At 11.59 p.m., Harry's arrested at his barracks in Scotland. Some reports even claim that he was caught scaling a wall in an attempt to escape. 
The arresting officer's body cam footage shows Harry as he's taken into custody. He's now calm as he complies with the officer's instructions and doesn't say much as he's told he's being arrested for suspicion of murder. The officers then confiscate the clothes he's wearing, a gray hooded sweatshirt and a bracelet, one of those stretchy rubber kind similar to the Livestrong bracelets, except his is three colors, red, blue, and mint green. The officers are collecting all of this in hopes of getting evidence of Alice's DNA on them. The officers also take blood, fingerprints, nail scrapings, and swabs of the fresh injuries on Harry's face. Yeah, you heard that right. There's two long scratches on the left side of Harry's face, on his cheek going down toward his mouth. And there's a third scratch down the right side of his neck. Now that Harry and his vehicle are at the police station in Gateshead, authorities are in a race against time because they can only keep him for 24 hours unless they have enough evidence to officially charge him. The forensics lab and the detectives burned the midnight oil to make this happen. During his initial interrogation, Harry denies all knowledge of Alice's murder, telling DCI Theaker and her team of detectives that he did drive to her house but he never went inside or had any contact with her. DCI Theaker then asked Harry if he knows where Alice's phone could be because remember, it wasn't found at the crime scene. But Harry assures her that he doesn't know. A lie that would come to bite him in the butt no less than 12 hours later because it turns out Alice's phone was in Harry's car and it connected to cell towers along the 120-mile route from Alice's apartment to his barracks, essentially tracking the trip with location and timestamps, proving Harry was involved in Alice's murder. Meanwhile, the lab gets their forensic test results back on blood found on the steering wheel in Harry's BMW and a tiny spot of blood from Harry's stretchy bracelet. When I tell you the spot of blood on the bracelet is teeny tiny, believe me, it's so small and almost impossible to see with the naked eye, but thank goodness the lab found it because both blood spots were a match for Alice's DNA. With this new substantial evidence, the detectives interview Harry once more. Their motivation is twofold. One, it's Harry's last chance to change his story and admit his guilt. And two, it gives the authorities an opportunity to challenge Harry with the evidence they gathered that in turn prove he lied in his account of what happened. The interview lasts maybe two minutes before Harry requests to speak with his counsel in private. The interview is paused and all parties exit the room. It then resumes 18 minutes later. And it's clear Harry and his attorney decided on a game plan because Harry no longer engages in conversation with the detectives except to say no comment. This frustrates DCI Theaker to no end who looks into the camera and says the following. You know, he's done this, he knows that he's done it. And he hasn't got the um, balls now to admit what he's done. In my mind, we've got enough to charge him with murder. Shortly afterward, Harry is officially charged with Alice's murder. He had no response to the charges when asked for a comment. According to the Sun in the Mirror, Harry denied the murder charges during his trial, claiming Alice attacked him and died as a result of falling onto a kitchen knife when an argument broke out between the two of them. Nobody in the courtroom believed his lies. In fact, the judge rejected this claim altogether, 
before sentencing him to life imprisonment for Alice's murder. Since 2016, the Ruggles family has fought hard to implement procedural change and update training in first responders when it comes to stalking. One such change is that pins are no longer used in stalking cases. The family also established the Alice Ruggles Trust in order to raise public awareness about the dangers of stalking. But no matter how many wins they have in their fight to keep stalking victims safe, they remain heartbroken at the loss of their beloved daughter and sister. In the An Hour to Catch a Killer docuseries, Alice's dad sums up what it's like living with the grief of losing his child. Here's what he had to say about life without Alice. I don't think I ever stopped thinking about Alice, really. Part of the time, you're carrying on doing normal things, and then something just reminds you. It's a normal life, and Alice-sized hole in it. That's where we'll leave this episode. Until our next episode, you know where to find us. At themurderdiariespodcast.com, at themurderdiariespod on TikTok and Instagram, and themurderdiariespodrequest at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate us five stars. It helps us keep sharing stories like Alice's. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.